our reading today is called In the Pit, and it comes from Genesis chapter 37, and it's a story about somebody named Joseph. Jacob had 12 sons, but he loved Joseph the most. When Jacob gave Joseph a new colorful coat, Joseph showed it to his brothers. The brothers knew Joseph was Jacob's favorite, and they became jealous. Why does Joseph get a new coat, and we don't, they complained. Mm, I have an idea, growled Simeon. Let's get rid of him. Joseph skipped along the path to see his brothers. Here comes the dreamer, grumbled Reuben. Joseph's brothers grabbed him and took off his colorful coat. Stop, cried Joseph. What are you doing? Thump. Joseph landed in a deep pit. It was dark and scary. Eleven pairs of eyes glared down at him. Eleven voices laughed. Eleven brothers stomped away. Joseph sat and thought, why were his brothers so angry? Hmm. Joseph thought back to the dreams that he had had. In one of the dreams, he was a bundle of wheat. His brothers were bundles too, and they all were bowing down to him. In another one, he saw the sun and the moon and all the stars, and they were bowing down to him too. When he told his brothers about these dreams, they were angry because the dreams meant that Joseph would be in charge of his whole family. Our wheat and 11 stars bowed down to you, they asked. We will never bow down to you, Joseph. Suddenly, Joseph was being lifted out of the pit. My brothers changed their minds, thought Joseph. Joseph's brothers did change their minds. They decided to sell Joseph to some traders passing by. That's it, laughed the brothers. Joseph is gone for good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How does Joseph feel? Sad. His brothers were so mean to him because they were jealous of him. Isn't that sad how mean they were to him? You know what, though? So we're going to hear more about Joseph in our next reading. Our next reading takes place a little bit after this with Joseph. But you know what? God was always with Joseph. Even when Joseph was in that pit, God was with him. And even when Joseph was taken away and he was sold to other people in Egypt, that's where he's going to go, and we're going to hear a story about that. Even then, God was with him. And you know, God was with Joseph so much that eventually Joseph gets to be in charge of a whole country. God just keeps making good things happen even when the bad things happen to Joseph. Do you ever have bad things happen to us? Things that make us sad? Yeah, sometimes we do have bad things that make us sad that happen to us. But God promises to always be with you, even if you're in a scary place, even if you're in a dark place, even if people are being mean to you, God is always with you. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for giving us Jesus to be with us always, even in the scary times. We ask that you would help us remember um, that you are with us and to feel safe. In Jesus' name, amen. And our text this morning is from Genesis 39. Now Joseph was taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of the Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw, saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hands. 
So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. He made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge and with him there, he had no concern for anything but the food that he ate. Now Joseph was handsome and good looking. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to the master's wife, look, with me here, my master has no concern about anything in the house and he has put everything that he has in my hand. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then do I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not consent to lie beside her or to be with her. One day, however, when he went to the house to do his work, while no one else was in the house, she caught hold of his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called out to the members of her household and said to them, see, my husband has brought among us a Hebrew to insult us. He came to, in to me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And when he heard me raise my voice and cry out, he left this garment beside me and fled outside. Then she kept his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story saying, the Hebrew servant who, have you brought, who you have brought among us came in to insult me. But as soon as I raised my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. When his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him saying, this is the way your servant treated me. He became enraged. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. He remained there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. He gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's care all the prisoners who were in prison, and whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The chief jailer paid no heed to anything that was in Joseph's care because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. The word of the Lord. Well, brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So uh, if you remember last week, uh, we heard this call of Abraham, and uh, I talked about how this was a, a new tactic that God is choosing to deal with sin, to choose one family. And if you remember that blessing back in uh, Genesis 12, uh, God says to Abraham, this is the promise that he gives him, uh, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. The one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
Well, Joseph now, in our reading today, is Abraham's great-grandson. So this is four generations down the line, and uh, this is part of God's uh, chosen family who God is making into, they're not yet, but making into a chosen nation uh, in order to bless all of the families of the earth. So I want to take a moment and just sort of connect the dots because we've, we've jumped forward, obviously, quite a bit between Genesis 12 and Genesis 39 where we are. Throughout this story, and I mentioned this last week, it seems odd that God would choose this particular family. Uh, Abraham, there doesn't seem to be anything really commendable about Abraham before God calls him, right? He's, the only thing we know is that he was a worshiper of other gods. That's the only thing we're told about him before this. Um, and yet God chose him. Also, Abraham and Sarah, his wife, are old and childless. If you're going to choose a family to bless the world with, uh, an old childless couple seems like an odd choice, an odd family to choose. And yet it happens. But as the family goes on and as we get the rest of the stories in Genesis of these generations following Abraham, uh, we see that sin still remains very much a part of even this chosen family's life. So it starts with Abraham and Sarah. They have had this promise of a great nation to come from them, uh, and it's taking a while. Some years have gone by. They're starting to wonder if really this promise is going to happen, uh, and so they take matters into their own hands. They're going to help God out with this promise a little bit. Sarah gives Hagar, her maidservant, to Abraham, which makes us uh, is, seems odd to us today. At that time, it was a fairly normal practice at that time, uh, and so Abraham and Hagar have this son, Ishmael, and, and uh, say, well, now this will be the chosen uh, son. This will be the promised son. Um, but of course, as soon as uh, Ishmael is born, Hagar and Sarah, there's a rivalry there. Hagar ends up being driven out uh, by Abraham and Sarah. It doesn't quite work the way they want it to. Uh, just because they're part of the chosen family doesn't mean they have an easy life. It doesn't mean uh, that uh, sin doesn't keep uh, at their heels and keep affecting them. God is faithful to Ishmael. He says, I'll make him a great nation too, but he's not the promised child. And eventually Sarah and Abraham have their son, Isaac, who they name laughter. Isaac means laughter in Hebrew. And, uh, and because of the joy of him coming and also the fact that when Sarah was given that promise, by this time next year, you have a son. She laughed in the hearing of the promise, if you remember that story. So Isaac is born, Isaac marries Rebekah, and then Isaac and Rebekah give, uh, or Rebekah really, gives birth to these two sons, Jacob and Esau, these twins. Esau is the firstborn by a few minutes, and then Jacob comes later. Um, but if you remember, they are very different sons, and they are fighting the whole time. They're even fighting within her, she says. How long will this go on before they're born? They're, they're so um, at war with each other to begin with. Esau's uh, his father's favorite. He's this hairy man. He's this hunter, this outdoorsman. Uh, Jacob uh, is his mother's favorite. He tends to stay around the house a bit more. And Jacob twice steals, he cheats Esau out of his birthright as the firstborn. First, he does it for a pot of stew. Maybe you remember that sto story. And the second time is when his father, Isaac, is old, can't see very well, and wants to pass on the, the blessing to his next son, to kind of pass on the, the leadership to the next generation. And Jacob pretends to be Esau and receives the blessing instead. You remember he puts goat skin on his arms. That's how hairy Esau apparently was. Um, and this, this fools his father. So uh, Esau then wants to murder Jacob, and Jacob's forced to run for his life. Again, being part of the chosen family does not lead to an easy life. Being part of the chosen family does not free you from the effects of sin, your own or the sin of others. 
Uh, Jacob then goes off. He, he marries a, a pair of sisters, uh, Leah and Rachel, um, and then through them and their two maidservants, there are 12 sons born to Jacob. The 11th son, the first one born to Rachel, who is the favorite wife, the 11th son is Joseph, who we hear in our story today. Uh, the 12th son is Benjamin, and his mother, uh, Rachel, actually dies in childbirth, giving birth to Benjamin. So that leads then into the story that we heard in the children's story with Joseph as the favorite son of his father, Jacob. Jacob, who is also known as Israel. These 12 sons, by the way, are what we call the 12 tribes of Israel. This is sort of the transition from this great family to becoming a great nation. But as we see for Joseph, being part of the chosen family does not lead to an easy life. It does not keep you... uh, free from the effects of sin, either yours or, in Joseph's case, the effects of his brother's sin. So Joseph is the favorite, probably because he's the firstborn of the favorite wife of Rachel, uh, maybe, and Rachel, again, dies in childbirth with his younger brother, Benjamin. Jacob favors Joseph, and he does it really obviously. He gives him this fancy uh, coat we hear about, you know, the famously the Technicolor dream coat. Uh, whatever the coat looked like exactly, we're not sure. It's a little unclear, but it was fancy, whatever it was. And it, and it marked him as the favorite one of his father. And the brothers are so jealous of this that they decide to get rid of him. Initially, they're going to kill him. That's actually their initial plan. Uh, one of them talks the others out of that plan and says, well, maybe we'll just uh, keep him in this pit and leave him to die here, and his plan is to come back and rescue him later. Um, But when these uh, traders come by, they take advantage of the opportunity, and they sell Joseph to these merchants. Joseph then goes down to Egypt, and once again, we see that being part of the chosen family does not leave you with an easy life. It does not leave you immune from the effects of sin. But at the end of it, I want to read for you this. At the end of Joseph's story, so Joseph's story will go all the way to the end of Genesis, um, to chapter 50 of Genesis. At the end of the story, after Joseph, if you remember, he becomes uh, in charge of Egypt, actually, the second in command to Pharaoh. He becomes uh, reconciled with his brothers after uh, messing around with them for a bit um, because uh, he is actually being able to provide grain for them in a famine. Uh, And uh, this is what he says to them. Um, This is how he interprets his whole story. He says, Even though you, speaking to his brothers, intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. Even though you intended to do harm for me, or evil, we could say, God intended it for good. Everything that happens to Joseph follows this pattern of something evil befalling him and God turning it into something that is at least better than it would have been. Maybe it's not fully where he was, but God turning it. Something evil happens to him and God turns it. So the first one is uh, when the brothers take hold of Joseph and they throw him in that pit, but they're convinced not to kill him right then. Then they lift him out of that pit and they sell him to slavers. So this is a little bit of a deliverance. But then they take him down to Egypt, and they sell him into slavery in Egypt. Egypt, this foreign land uh, which is known even by us for its sort of uh, obsession with death, right? Egyptians, uh, Egyptian culture, they build these pyramids which are all monuments to the dead. They mummify their dead, uh, all of this sort of obsession with death. That's where Joseph is taken to uh, as a slave. So things are going bad for him, but then God 
turns it for good, it says. So now if we get back into Genesis 39, back into our reading for today, uh, here's what we find. So Joseph was taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, buys him. And we read this in verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. His master sees that the Lord was with Joseph, that the Lord caused all that he did to prosper. Joseph found favor in his sight, the sight of his master, and because the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Over and over again, we see that the Lord is with Joseph, that what, God, or what the brothers had intended for evil, God is now working for good. Of course, it doesn't last that long. Uh, Potiphar's wife is jealous uh, for Joseph. Uh, she's jealous for him, uh, maybe because uh, well, because of his looks is one thing that's mentioned, but also maybe because of his sudden uh, rise to power. He's in charge of everything in the household save for her. It's almost as though he has supplanted her in some way. And so she uh, exerts her power over him or tries to, um, but he is able to escape from that. It's hard to read this story, to hear the story without thinking of the echoes of what's going on currently uh, in our public discourse with the, the Me Too movement for the last uh, year or two, however long that's been going on now for. And then currently, I mean, there's currently a Supreme Court justice that whose confirmation is a bit in question because of allegations that are, well, they're allegations and they there's, they're happened a while ago and it's hard to know what's true and what's not. One of the things in the story that I think is easy to kind of apply it to say, well, look, here is a woman faking an allegation against a righteous man, right? And say, well, that's very similar to what's happening today. Maybe. I don't know. I don't have any inside information there. I do want to note you to notice, though, that what's happening here is very different because it's not just a woman accusing a man. It's somebody in power accusing a slave. Joseph here is actually the one who is under. Uh, the wife of Potiphar is the one who is in power, and she is commanding him and using his, her power uh, to get something from him. You notice also uh, when he responds, he doesn't respond. He responds by talking about power. He says, well, my master's given authority to me that I don't need to listen to you. I listen to him. That's where the authority is. And by the way, I would also be sinning against my God who has been giving success here. Everything here is about power more than it is about uh, men or women or something about who's trustworthy and who's not. It's, it's an, an issue of power, which often uh, these uh, issues of sexual assault are issues of power. Uh, I just want to highlight that. So he responds righteously, but things go badly for him, right? His, his master is so angry when he comes back with this, this story that uh, his wife has told that he throws him into prison, and he doesn't throw him just into any prison. I don't know if you noticed this. He throws him into Pharaoh's personal prison, the prison for those who have personally offended the king of Egypt. That's where Potiphar throws him. Potiphar is the captain of the guard, you remember, of Pharaoh. He has some connections here. He's able to just throw this man, this Joseph, who has blessed him greatly into prison in his anger. But what happens even there? The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with him. Whatever he did, we read right at the end of our reading, the Lord made it prosper. At the end, he's in Pharaoh's personal prison. He's in probably the worst place, except maybe that pit at the beginning, that he has been in. And yet even there, he rises to power. Even there, God is faithful to Joseph. Sometimes we hear the story of Joseph and, uh, and we think of, oh, this is sort of, if you just do everything right, things will turn out well for you in the end. 
right? And Joseph, I mean, he's a faithful man. He's a righteous man. He's, he serves his master well. He is uh, faithful in his responsibilities. Uh, he's maybe a little bit arrogant with his brothers at the beginning. You know, maybe that's a character flaw. But aside from that, he, he seems to be a righteous man. But if you read the story, the reason that Joseph is blessed is not because of his righteousness, but because God is with him. God makes what he has to do prosper. God uh, makes his master find favor with him. The master, who's presumably not a worshiper of God, somehow realizes that Joseph's God is with him and honors him for that. The jailer, who presumably doesn't know anything about Joseph's God, knows that Joseph's God is with him and places him in charge of the entire prison. The jailer sort of doesn't have to do anything. Uh, Pretty good job, it seems. It's easy for us when things happen to us, when things don't go the way that we planned, uh, when healthcare uh, crises happen, when uh, we lose a job, when maybe false accusations or false uh, things are being said about us, it can be easy for us to lose sight of the fact that God is with us. Or we maybe interpret it as a sign of God's attitude towards us, of God's favor toward us. We think that, well, I mean, we think that God has chosen us, but all these things are going wrong, and it seems like maybe, maybe God hasn't actually chosen us. Maybe we're not actually on God's good side. When those family infightings happen, and I mean, you see this in the chosen family of Genesis, it is a dysfunctional family all the way down. And we know something about dysfunctional families. We know something about dysfunctional family members. We all have some dysfunction in our families. But if anyone can teach us that what happens to you, and when bad things happen to you, this is not a sign of God's chosenness, it is the story of Joseph. Because how does he interpret it at the end? All of these things, though they were intended to him for evil, they were sin against him. It's not like his brothers were uh, acting out God's uh, righteous will for him when they sold him into slavery. Even though it was intended for evil, God intended it for good. God used it for good. God turned it for good for Joseph. You and I, all of us, we are part of God's chosen people. This family that God chose and God started down through the generations, this leads eventually to Jesus. And through Jesus, even us Gentiles are included in this chosen people of God, this chosen family of God. And yet when we go through our lives, we run into struggles, we run into health problems, we run into to marriage problems, family problems, uh, job problems, you name it. And it can make us question, are we actually part of this? Does God actually care? Is God actually at work here? Sometimes it seems like things are harder than they would otherwise be. But what is intended against us for evil, God works for good. We have this promise in Romans 8, 28. It's one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Uh, We know that all things work together for the good for those who love God according to God's purpose, which means not always maybe the way we want them to work to the good, but they do work to the good. This is a promise that we have. This is the part where I don't know how to sum it up, how to to come to an ending, but here we are. Uh, So let me say this at the end then. When you you are uh, facing these hard times, when you are finding yourself in a dark pit, hopefully not a literal dark pit, but a metaphorical dark pit, know that even there, God is with you. 
that God has not abandoned you, that God is even then working for your good because God, through Jesus Christ, has promised to you the forgiveness of your sin, your salvation from death itself, and God will not abandon you. Amen.